I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. I'm V. And I'm B. And today we are going to be speaking with the infamous Mary of Mary's Heirloom Seeds. We talk about her a lot, and today she's going to guide us through seed starting because that time is upon us. Actually, for us here in our zone, it's time to start tomatoes and peppers next week. <laughs> so I am personally not. Doesn't feel like it though because it's snowing right now. Right, but the snow doesn't last long here, thankfully. Um, and yeah, our season is about to be sweeping in before we know it. So tomatoes and peppers, and there's some other uh, things we've got to get started. And so she's going to be talking with us today. We are going to be announcing uh, the discount code that for everyone. And now that we are finally getting a little bit caught up, we had a little bit of some scheduling hoopla. We'll call it hoopla. So. We got a little bit uh, mixed up there, but never you fret. We've got tons of new stuff coming at you. And today we are going to announce also the next giveaway. We are going to be giving away the charcoal bullet smoker. And it's just one of the smaller smokers. So if you live off grid, it's not going to take up a ton of room. Uh, if you live in town, you can do it on a patio or a balcony. This this is going to be super, super convenient. Um, I was reading up on it. Nick can, Nick can do like four chickens at a time and some other stuff. And a charcoal smoker, but it can also run off wood chips. And so, yeah, it's going to be very, very exciting for whoever gets that, especially going into the summer season. So how you are going to enter for this is you will take a picture of you and your favorite animal doing something funny. And that's how you are going to enter. If you absolutely are just super, super camera shy and it is just not a possibility whatsoever, you can upload a funny short video. You can add some little music to it or anything like that of just the animals um, with maybe a funny caption or whatever. This is all about comedy. So either you can do a funny picture with an animal or you can make a little snippet, a little video similar to like a little reel or something like that. Put it into the Facebook group and you are going to have until February 20th to enter this giveaway. So that is for the smoker. So now let's just jump into it. We are going to be speaking with Mary, like I said, and this is going to be a little bit different. You're going to hear our interview after this and then We'll join you again at the end with some of our closing thoughts. So here we go. So Mary, discuss your background and how Mary's Heirloom Seeds even came to be. Oh, okay. So one of the things that uh, I've been doing almost my whole life is I've been interested in food and gardening and my parents weren't necessarily farmers, not farmers at all, really, but my grandparents were. Uh, one side were full-blown farmers. They had 
uh, animals and gardens. And another side, she grew some of the most amazing tomatoes you could ever possibly eat. So I've always been interested in gardening. But when I really started to learn about what was being done to our food, whether it was in the growing process or uh, just the, the processed food, I really wanted to get more into growing and educating people about growing food and, and what was going on with our food. So that's kind of how Mary's Heirloom Seeds came to be. So um, right now, which a lot of people I know because I, I follow you for a long time, but a lot of people might not know. And um, I had heard on another podcast, you know, everybody was talking about you being in Texas, but you're actually more experienced and more zones because texas isn't your original location yep i that's another unique thing about the education portion that i offer at mary's heirloom seeds because i grew up in southern california which where it was zone nine i started mary's heirloom seeds in south florida which is zone 10 and now i'm in texas which is zone eight so that's a lot. That's a big swing in different growing regions. And, yeah. you know, growing in zone eight where we are now, I just had this discussion with a customer the other day. Zone eight, Texas is extremely different than, say, zone eight, Oregon, or uh, where I, I'm pretty sure she was in Oregon when we were having this discussion. So uh, there's a lot of differences in swings and temperatures and things like that, depending on where you are in the country. Yeah, and that's just so important, you know, when when people are talking to me and we, I've been trying to talk more about the permaculture stuff and, you know, people are looking at their zones and I said, well, it's not really the zone, it's a lot more than that because zone 9 in Florida and zone 9 in California are parallel, <laughs> I mean, they're completely <laughs> different. So, yeah. you know, I try to encourage people to be looking at um, microclimates, actual, you know, actual sun, actual mapping, like what is it really? Um, and then I guess that'll, you know, kind of take me into, are you an in-ground gardener or is this whole operation taking place in raised beds? I have grown in just about everything. So my current gardens, I have a couple gardens because of course, you know, we're saving seeds from different places, so we do have, we're spread out. I have in-ground gardens, and I have raised beds. And in the past, I have grown in, com- not my entire garden, but I did an entire bucket garden, just so I could teach people that, yes, you can absolutely grow in a garden without having to dig in the ground. Uh, and I've grown uh, hydroponically as well. Um, that wasn't necessarily my, my favorite. I really prefer uh, the raised beds. They comes with its own sets of difficulty between, you know, the price of lumber, depending on what year you're buying the lumber, because that was a big deal a couple years ago. So my last place, the issue was gophers. So almost nothing could be grown indoors, or I'm sorry, in ground. And then our current place, I started with some raised beds in a certain spot of of the garden because the water flowed through the property after I had had built it and so I said well you know I'm gonna I, I need this area to grow so I'm just gonna build some raised beds and it worked out really well see I like hydroponic growing however I do crap key because we're off grid 
So right. we don't fun like I don't I can honestly say I cannot really say I'd like it if I was fiddling with all of the timers and the lights and the I, I just don't think that would be for me. I think when I say I like it is because of the hands off approach yeah. that Cracky offers. Um, which for those of you who don't know, I did it in five gallon buckets. Um, I filled it all the way up. To the very bottom of the little uh, catch cup, just at the just at the very bottom, so the roots could get it, and it's got the chemicals in it. And then as the the roots get longer, the water shrinks, and it creates that air pocket they need. And that's really good for short short root things, like you know sure. your greens and things like that. Now the tomatoes and peppers and stuff, because I used five gallons instead of fifty fives or thirties, I had to do water swaps on those one time mid-cycle right. but if i was fiddling with all that other stuff i don't <laughs> i don't think that's for me that takes that makes it so difficult in my opinion yeah. <laughs> we are yeah. doing an episode on hydroponics and aquaponics and okay. um so i'm i'm curious because those people are doing it super like intensively so i'm curious to see how they how they do it but for me i think i'm Maybe that's what appeals to me about permaculture, that once it's established, <laughs> it just kind of yeah. goes. I think that maybe I, I'm know, a lazier gardener. <laughs> I, I am the same way. I really like, you know, the like the raised beds are good for me because I can build those raised beds and I can do minor amend, amendments every year or a couple times a year, and it's kind of hands-off. Uh, whereas with the hydroponics, not that I don't like it, it just was a little more intense, and I visited a uh, aquaponics farm in Florida when we lived there, and that looked really cool. But at the time, I just didn't have the space to do something kind of as big as they had. But it 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 was pretty cool. Yeah, I've seen some people just get absolutely crazy with those. I saw the you know this guy; he's got big, it basically big hoop houses. And yeah. uh, these in-ground ponds, and he's using koi. Yep. And that was so cool. But, I mean, and I like koi, and I really hope to have a few koi in a little koi pond one day. But um, they are not a cheap fish. <laughs> so, you know, when when you're talking like this guy's got ponds of them, I mean, that is... I don't know. And I don't even eat fish. So, you know, some people were like, oh, yeah, you grow this and you can pull it out and you can eat it. That doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. So I have to either have something that's pretty that I like to look at or something that I can give to somebody else. So, nevertheless, but here where we are, it is about time to, I should have been starting seeds to be honest with you, but uh, it's about time to get my tomatoes and peppers and that stuff kind of rolling. Have you started anything yet? Oh, I certainly have. <laughs> I It was so hard for me to not start seeds, like, even in November, because it the, our winter here is much different uh, in the past, and it's different this year than it was last year. So it's been, for me, very warm compared to what it was last year. So, you know, maybe last week it was almost 80 degrees. So I was threatening to just plant some seeds outside. Then, of course, we had 24 degrees yesterday. So um, I have a small grow tent uh, that will be a bigger outdoor situation next year. Uh, But just kind of getting situated in this property. We've only been here 
a year and a half. So I have a couple peppers. I have a couple tomatoes. Um, I started, when you say seed starting, you know, I started some cold stratification. So, you know, lavender and valerian that I want to be able to plant out, I started those in my refrigerator. Uh, But mostly what I have right now is tomatoes and peppers, particularly hot peppers because I love them. But they take a little longer to germinate than some of the other peppers. Yeah. And um, do you want to discuss what is cold stratification? Because some people won't know what that means. Yeah, absolutely. So some seed varieties need a different type of environment to germinate at optimal germination. So some seeds need light. Some seeds need darkness. And cold stratification is the natural uh, it's it's mimicking the natural way that these seeds would germinate, and it's simply exposing them to cold temperatures for a period of time, whether it's two weeks, 60 days, you know, two months. And what I do is just a simple mixture of coconut core and sand, and I'll sprinkle my seed with some water, and I'll sprinkle my seeds in there and put it in the refrigerator, uh, usually about six weeks. And then when I'm done with it, I go ahead and put it in my grow tent with some lights, and I get great germination. Um, it's it's similar to what some people do for winter sowing. Uh, but I've never, un- until now, I never really lived in an area that got cold. So I've done cold stratification in the refrigerator instead of uh, letting nature take its course. And so we have done an episode on winter sowing. So if okay. anybody's new listening, you can jump back and do that. I love winter sowing. I did not winter sow this year because I've got 976,000 projects going on. (laughs) And like you said, climate change is creeping up. It's warm. So I winter sowing, I could start it early, but we're not getting the winter that is the key. You know, the snow is the insulator, the the whole premise there. Um, And for me... It's basically not going to do any, it's, uh, they might just basically sit out there and mold or they'll sit out there and germinate when they're ready. And I just basically, it's just sitting out there because we're not getting any insulation or anything. And I would, it's still, like you said, it's pretty warm. I think we were like almost 60 degrees yesterday. So it's, so it's not, uh, I would still need to be watering, um, those pretty extensively which is different from traditional winter sowing. So, sure. yeah. Uh, yeah, so we don't. Cold stratification, I think. Well, okay. Number one, this, me and lavender, we don't get along. <laughs> I can't grow that to save my life. But if I'm supposed to be cold stratifying it, I am never going to grow it because I have never done that before. <laughs> so, so that is, lavender for me is one of the varieties, probably the only variety that I struggle to germinate. But in reading the background on lavender, in general, it has it it can have difficulty germinating. Even with the highest quality of seeds, typically your germination can be lower. So, you know, one of the things my customers respond to me is how fast our seeds germinate and how great the germination rates are. I mean, the reviews on my social media and, and my website, and I use the same seeds, so I know. But even that one, if you look at just about any, you know, gardening website, you can have a great quality of seed, 
and sometimes maybe only get 50% germination on lavender in particular. So yeah. it's, it's not it's not easy, but, you know, it, since it's a perennial in some places, it can be worthwhile. Yeah, and hopefully I can get it going good. Um, Wick, uh, Danny from Wicked Awesome Gardening, she's been on. She did urban <laughs> gardening and community, or gardening while renting and community gardening. And okay. uh, she always has success with lavender. Uh, she's same zone as me, 6B, but she's up in New Hampshire, I think. Uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts. So, uh, and you know, she's got all these, these great, great things. And man, it's just one of those things. You know, another thing is I struggle with, um, eggplant. When I can get the eggplant going, then the bugs eat up the eggplant. That's like the one thing. They won't touch anything else, but they will wipe out every eggplant I plant. That's frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, oh, and honeydew. Those are like my my three things that it's like they just do not want me to grow them so i'm determined i keep growing them year after <laughs> year i keep i don't even eat honeydew my son <laughs> likes honeydew and you know i'm on a whole melon journey uh okay. if anybody's been listening they know yeah. that i i don't like melon i really don't i think it tastes like stringy water but <laughs> i have been hunting and hunting and hunting and I have, uh, I think what the Crimson Sweet was okay. It was okay. I'll never like any of them, so. He says he doesn't like watermelon, but then when my son gets watermelon, then he's like, well, I think I'm going to have a piece. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. She's lying. <laughs> so, have you ever tried Moon and Stars Yellow Flesh Watermelon? So, we will this year, but I, I have, uh, I accidentally possibly maybe didn't water them and they died okay so that one for me last year it came out super sweet but it didn't taste like your typical red watermelon and i wish i wish i had a a side by side to to tell you like exactly what the difference was but it just you know how sometimes with a watermelon the only way i can describe it is mealy but not in a bad way just just that that texture is different but the yellow flesh wasn't very mealy it was really smooth and juicy yeah which i had baby doll i don't like that either though i well he (laughs) likes cantaloupe he's like team cantaloupe okay i the baby doll i grew this year accidentally and um i got one the the chickens were kind enough to give me one and that i was like you said it was smooth and it wasn't really seedy and that was actually pretty good that one went into the good category um yeah so so far that did as far as cantaloupe so far the only one i've cared for like to eat more than one piece was the minnesota midget okay and so far, honeydew, no. <laughs> but I have, like, a mass amount of melon seeds. And I figure it doesn't matter. Like, you know, some people, they're told, just grow what you'll eat. Just grow what you'll eat. I actually don't do that whatsoever. I grow absolutely everything. See if I'm going to like it. Maybe I like a different variety versus, sure. you know, one or the other. And all this livestock out here, they don't care. 
They do not yeah. care what it is. So I say grow everything, and then yep. all I've done is feed my livestock some very, very fancy food. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that works fine. But um, while we're on the topic of melon, which everybody gets excited about melon, and they get excited about squash, I'm curious, what are your recommendations? Would you seed start those, or would you direct sow? For melon and squash, I prefer to direct sow because they tend to have a lot more delicate of a root system. So if you are transplanting them in something that isn't um, decomposing, like uh, like they make little grow bags that can decompose, you're most likely going to disrupt their root system. And then you've spent all that time growing these seedlings and then you disrupt the root system and they may not make it. So I really prefer to direct sow all squash and all melons. I agree. That is, I learned that the hard way, but I also would throw cucumbers in that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, per- personally, my my personal seed starting is like tomatoes and peppers, yes. However, I have direct sown them. Um as an experiment because we have a long growing season and that did work. But if you do not have a long growing season, then no. But, um, and then things like I did, I did do asparagus or like flowers, like the artichokes. Um, but I've not really, I haven't had good luck starting cabbage and broccoli and stuff. It's always been better when I just direct sowed it. I don't, I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if that's intentional. No, that you're, that's, uh, we're on the same page with that. And especially since things like cabbage and broccoli, they tend to be cool weather crops. So they do really kind of pop up and they're ready. Uh, The only thing I would add to that as far as uh, sowing and then transplanting out would be some of the herbs. Oh, yes, yeah. Those are so easy sometimes and they're, they're smaller, they can stay compact. And then you can just plant them out with your, for example, if you're companion planting, you can transplant them the same time you do your peppers and your tomatoes and just fill in your garden beds or whatever you're, whatever you're planting in. Yeah, I feel like people put such an emphasis on starting seeds when in reality, I, in my opinion, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, my opinion, um, my strongest plants are direct sown every time and so it has to be like i must seed start this or i won't uh not only is it extra setup but i just find that they just do better when i'm just leaving them you know leaving them be amaranth that gave me heck um yeah i plant that direct so all the time i i don't plant those indoors at all yeah, and I and I've been learning that. Um, so, what is your? I'll tell you my when I do start seeds. I've done it a couple ways, and then you can tell us the right way to do it. <laughs> um, when we were in town, and we had all you know, we were electrical you know veins. I had got actually the shop lights. They worked really well, and they were long. I've tried those little peak cups, which did not. Uh, biodegrade into anything anytime quickly um and i've tried those little pour water on and they swell um and then i've tried the seed start mix 
and I've tried the potting mix. For me personally, what worked best when I was starting my seeds is I actually went out to our on our property this last year and I just got the uh, like the tree decay basically. I planted in that. My germination was fast. They were strong. It was great. Excellent. Um, but so I, and I've used the red solo cups when we were in town out and I used heat mats and all that was great out here. I seed started without heat mats, without the light in a hoop house. Um, and both of it worked good. I just needed to dome the tomatoes and peppers, but then I ended up having to heat mat those overnight. I didn't have to do it in the day, but I had to do it overnight. Do you think there's a way to get around ever not giving them heat? So there's, I actually, there is a possibility, but it takes a lot more effort in some cases. So there's a YouTuber that I have followed. Um, her name is Julie and she's at Dirt Patch Heaven. Oh, I know. Uh, now I'm sure yeah, I know that one. I'm sure there's a ton of other people out there that have some more information too. She recently changed her YouTube channel and I forget what it is off the top of my head, but she has a way to heat um, an area using like manures and things like that. So you, you basically have this warmed growing space without having to have any electricity. Now I don't have the animals for the manure, especially since we just got here a year and a half ago, but that's an option for you. But as far as, as far as not using a heat mat and not having a labor-intensive setup, honestly, you're going to struggle most of the time with things like peppers because pepper seeds really need warmth. So that's one of the things that, you know, starting indoors, it's like, do I have to have this? Do I not have to have this? There's some things that are recommended, but uh, warm soil is key. And... One thing I did do as a little trial and error was our chick, uh, when we brood chicks, we only provide heat sometimes. It depends on the time of the year, but we have the plates. Okay. Okay. So you can either have it on brooder and it's like 20 watts and it lays flat. You can stand it up and it's like a coop heater and it's like a couple hundred watts. Well... I had placed it over the trays on that brooder setting and then some of them on the heater setting and that did work. So if someone listening has those things because they're such low wattage, you can dual purpose those to start seeds and, you know, deal with your chickens because you're not going to be doing, you know, you won't be doing the same thing at the same time. That'll run off your little solar setups, your battery banks, all that stuff. And you don't have to go buy additional seed mats. Um, I also found that reptile heating pads worked well. So if you had, I know some people had had reptiles in the past and they don't anymore and they had those, but the reptile heating mats were cheaper for me to get from our little local pet store than the designated seed trays that or is the, true the, the like seed you, mats if you look at the different you know expenses for example you know we had to put wire under our raised beds when we had gophers well i looked up a gopher wire and it was more expensive than chicken wire 
which of course both of those are less expensive than um, uh, hardware cloth. So it kind of depends on if you depending on what you're looking at. I'm not actually using a heat mat this time for my seedlings because I already had the tent, um, so that was a plus. And it's not even in a in really a heated area. It's kind of like a garage type shed. Mm-hmm. And the light itself warms up the tent enough so that the soil stays warm. So it depends on your situation. Like, you know, everybody's going to have a different type of growing situation. If you're doing it in a room on a rack, it may or may not be warm enough. It may get too warm. So if it's indoors and you have the house heated or, or wherever it's at, you don't necessarily have to worry about the heat mat if the area is warm. Plus, the light's going to keep it warm anyway, depending on, again, what type of lights you're using. Some lights are warmer than others. Which, and for us this year, our house, you know, the front of it faces south. And we have, I know already now what my microclimates are. I know how, you know, I know that our sun and the degrees and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to use those little, um, those little greenhouse tents and they will go against the house on the south side and I've been tracking it and it is significant temperature difference there. So we won't have to use any heat this year because it will, just the sun and that, that passive solar right there is just going to heat it up. But I bring all these things up so that people are thinking outside the box. So often I see, especially in these Facebook groups, people want, they got to have, you know, they think that they watch these big names. And so they want everybody's running a bootstrap farmer and they're all doing all these things. You can use all kinds of things. If you have an egg carton, use an egg carton and then up pot it. Go. If you want to use the, the, the cups, if you, if you must take dirt from outside or whatever, as long as you're trying to get something, you now granted your success rate is going to fluctuate. Obviously, if you don't give it optimal prime, you know, conditions and you're using a substandard seed, you can have some issues there. Um, I don't have to worry about that because most of my seeds come from you. (laughs) So they, you know, they germinate just fine. Matter of fact, I accidentally dropped. And if you've anybody's listened to the podcast, you know, I've brought this up like 50 times. And that's because I'm still (laughs) upset about it. I dropped a hundred lemon balm seeds. Yes. In the bottom of my greenhouse, I went to go start them and, um, yep. Got them from you. I was very excited. I said, Oh yeah, I'm going to grow these. Nope. Whole thing. Bottom of the greenhouse, which was literally rock and everything. I, and they're, you know, they're tiny. I couldn't see. And I'm judging by the mass amount that was sitting there. I'm pretty sure I had like 90% germination on those. And that was just simply from runoff. It, yeah. I, I, I didn't do anything with them. But yeah, they were popping up out of everywhere. I was like, oh my gosh. So I'd like to say that was isolated. But it's not isolated. Incident. <laughs> I've done that with all kinds of stuff all over this property. We had melons, tomatoes, uh, all kinds of volunteers because I just like drop things. <laughs> or I throw things around. Or the chickens have planted something somewhere. Of course. Um, now, the trays that have you used the trays from places like Haas, Bootstrap Farmer, Johnny's 
No. So I've actually there. I've done so many different crazy things. It's you know I try like you like you said. You don't necessarily need all the fancy things, and I've literally tried just about every do-it-yourself, recycled everything. And I will say that even the higher-end trays, it's like if you are buying that, great. And if you that's what you want to do, great. But you could get the same amount of success rate from a recycled, uh, I forget what they call them, like a clamshell plastic oh, container yes. from the grocery store. Or yeah. a recycled, uh, what do you call it, sour cream container or a yogurt container. Toilet paper rolls. So, you know, I've used just about every single kind of do-it-yourself option. I have used the coconut core pellets. We sell those as well on our website. You add the water to it, and it and it comes up. I've I've used um, glass. Uh, what do you call it? It's a like a cake pan that you can oh, get at the thrift yes, store. Yes, yes. You know, there there really isn't anything that you have to buy that's fancy just to get some seeds started. Um, it's literally some light. It needs oxygen and it needs water for your seeds to germinate. And other than that, you can wing it with the rest of the way. Yes. And I will, um, I will ask we had a lot of questions. So of course we have talked about you on our social media to friends, everyone. I even have videos on, uh, and, and things even before I actually knew you as a person because I've been using your seeds for a while. But <laughs> everybody has asked me, well, why is there not a catalog? Why is there not instructions on the packets? And I tell people, there are some companies, yes, and they put the directions on the package, right? But if people would just go to your website, it is packed with the tips, the tricks, the growing um, instructions, all those things. But I assume, you know, the, I have some companies where I've gotten their seeds and they give me the instructions and I go to the website and there's nothing else. Is this like strategic that it's more about education for you and keeping costs low? There is, there's a little backstory to that. Uh, first I'll address the, the catalog. Uh, that has been something that I have been set on from day one when I started my company is not creating more waste. Um, it's not a, it's not a budget thing or anything to do with that. It's just the simple fact that a lot of people are online. A lot of people are on social media, but you know, and you can, you know, if you're on Facebook scrolling through or, or whatever, you can scroll through a website to see what type of stuff I have on my website. But it's not even if I charged you for it, I still see that as a massive amount of resources going into something that you may or may not even open. Uh, and sometimes people really like that. So I'm not bashing anybody that creates a catalog. It's just a personal thing for me. I don't want to create more waste. Um, we used to have printed instructions, basic instructions on the back of our of our seed packs. I stopped that in 2020 because I was having to put labels on it. And once I put labels on my seed packs, they're no longer uh, compostable. You've got the glue and whatnot. Sure, you could compost it, but I really felt that I wanted to, again, create a more sustainable product. Our seed packs are 100% compostable. So when you're done, instead of throwing it in the trash, you can 
bury it in your garden bed and next year it'll provide for your garden. I will say, Braxton's over here shaking his head. Uh, We have been talking about, uh, I I keep saying the word over, permaculture, sustainable, blah, blah, blah. That, you know, we're trying to, the whole whole point is trying to be self-sufficient. When I ask people, can you be truly self-sufficient? And you know what people tell me? They tell me no. They tell me that they cannot. And I say, excuse me, but I say BS. Because (laughs) you can... You can close your loop. Do I right now? No, I I have a long I have a long way to go. Um, personally, it, it's it's literally it's a journey. You know, if it is a journey. Who, it's not just one day you wake up and then all of a sudden you have no waste. Everything's a hundred percent compostable. Every everything on your property is feeding everything else. Everything has three purposes, and you're out here frolicking in the woods. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. when you meant when you mention things like this, that is what people need to be thinking about being truly sustainable. Are you getting an heirloom seed that you can continue to uh, collect seed true? Are you, you know, are you being able to um, compost the materials? And Braxton had made a comment. We've gotten in the, like 900 catalogs, you know, and I I got a catalog and I've never even ordered from this company before. Yes, multiple. And I'm just like, where did you get my information? Because I, we really try to not have that kind of waste. And some of those glossy catalogs, you can't throw in the compost and, you know, hope it doesn't, you know, contaminate your compost pile for next year, you know? Yeah, and we've we've had so many. And I'll be honest with you, I, I cracked uh, one of them. Uh, there, there's a big company and they send me something over and over and over again. It doesn't matter if I've removed myself from the list 400 times. I don't order from them. I'm not going to order from them. But they just keep on sending it. Um, and just think how many they've sent me and how many I have not used. And I can't compost it. I can't at all because yeah. it is, um, it's like treated, you know, so I can't, I can't yeah. do anything with that. So it, it goes back into you know, certain things. Now there is a, obviously there's a large seed company. Everybody knows who it is. Everybody loves their catalog. They wait for it. It's like a, it's like when Harry Potter dropped, you know, for the first time. (laughs) And, and I get it. I understand that, but it's not really a catalog. That's pretty much a book. They've, you know, that that's different. And so I just want everybody listening. I'm not attacking that catalog. I'm saying I've gotten, a million of the exact same thing that are just like, you know, 20, 25 pages long, which is the exact same information on their website. So, and for me, if I were to, um, you know, if I were to literally fill out the little form in these catalogs with what I want and send it back, in theory, that's good. In theory, they're trying to be available to people. But if you're not on the phone or you're not online, it's going to be sold out before your your money order or check gets there. Sure. Um, it just that just is what it is. That's just the reality of what it is in the times right now. Um, yeah. So, but yes, I and personally, if I need to remember anything about any of the seeds that you have, I always just go to it on the website. Most of them also have reviews, and it goes into everything. And so I don't have to sit and wonder or guess. Um, Another question that 
came in um, when people knew that you were coming on is they have popped over to your website because, you know, we did sorghum syrup and all okay. of those things. And that was a whole thing. And then people wanted to know, how did you get into, because you're, you're one of the only ones to have things like millet and um, sorghum and flax and those kind of things. That actually, I can kind of blame on Julie, not not in a bad way, but good. <laughs> she really pushed me to offer things for homesteaders to uh, offset your feed bill. So I'll just say the golden flax, for example. She does fiber fibers, and I'm not. I don't know next to anything about fiber art. You know, spinning your own wool, spinning your own. Um, she does rabbits and things. So she wanted to be able to grow her own flax to figure out how to make a linen out of it. And so she, I was impressed. I'm like, I've never heard of anybody like growing it, making it and using it. So, of course, that was definitely something I wanted to, to offer. Uh, and, yeah. and I've had people ask me specifically, uh, oh, it was you, actually. That was <laughs> you yeah. asked about um how much can I, how much do I need to plant to be able to harvest enough to make this mix? Because you can buy it in the store, but ultimately, if your goal is to close that loop, you need to know how much do I need to plant? So that's one of the things that, that we've really done. Um, you know, I have, I have cats. They're indoor only. They're not outside. So I provide different things for them. So cat grass, for example, it's just hard red wheat, hard red wheat say that a couple times oh, I know. and uh, and and now you have cat grass and i don't have to go to a pet store which where we live now like i don't even know where the closest one would be because we're kind of rural here um and i know exactly how it's grown so i don't have to worry about buying a little square i think it's like 6.99 at the pet store i know exactly how that was produced and i can feed that to my pets knowing that I'm not going to have to worry about that getting sick from it. And it's easy. I mean, Do you what, guys 14? want cat grass? Do you guys want some? <laughs> we have 13, like 14 we have 13 days, cats. Yeah. And I didn't oh even... Oh my goodness. Listen, long story. They're all kids <laughs> at this point. We can't get rid of them, not a one. But I didn't know... I'm not... I don't know about cat grass. Why do I not know about cat grass? I feel well, like I, I should know this. I, I knew about... Um, catnip which ironically i grew catnip right i grew it outside but i didn't protect it so the outdoor cats like it's decimated <laughs> it before it could even have a chance to grow but i i didn't know anything about that yeah and it's literally hard red wheat now i can't say that if you bought hard red wheat to to eat that it would necessarily be the same thing just because you know some of the stuff that you eat isn't necessarily stored for seeds um but you know, I know that we sell it on our website. Uh, I actually have cat grass kits and cat nip kits uh, because we do have four indoor cats. And like you said, there are kids. You know, I've that's that's just what we do here. So it's definitely nice to be able to provide something kind of it's entertainment, but they also eat it. Uh, and hopefully it keeps them out of my seedlings, which is pretty much the only reason I have why I have a tent. Uh, that's one of those things like equipment it's not necessary but if you have cats that like to eat greens it's definitely necessary my my cats bully me terribly 
They don't want me to have anything nice. Um, they broke my chicken little Scentsy warmer, too. I was like, really, guys? Like, they'll, they will get into and everything. If starting anything in the house is out of the question. I have a window yep. ledge, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be, you know, so nice, and I'm going to put my little lemon tree here and everything, and then I'm thinking to myself, I got to figure out something better. I don't know yeah. how I can cage it because I only had two cats when I had two lemon trees and they completely just, they just beat them to nothing. <laughs> and so they were, now they're no more. And I was like, these were Meyer lemon trees. These were expensive. You can't keep doing this. Uh, yeah, we don't, we can't have anything. But, you know, they cuddle, they're warm. They mean well. Um, yeah. Things for, let let's talk about unusual seed starting such as sweet potatoes oh that is an awesome one uh i don't sell slips or sweet potatoes but and you can buy them um but i don't buy them from like the companies or whatever i just get a sweet potato from the grocery store i find something that's organic Around here, now that we moved here, it's a little harder to find it because of where we are. Um, sweet potatoes are a fun one because you set the bottom in water. I just use little skewers in it. And then you get these nice, beautiful shoots that come out. Those are slips. You cut <coughs> that slip off, soak it in water until you have a good root base, and then plant it outside. It's it's really exciting and it's a really warm weather tolerant variety. So, um, it's great if you've got a nice hot summer. So when would you want to be putting your sweet potatoes in water? Probably now. Uh, it again, it's going to depend on your specific region when your frost dates are. Um, you can do it now. It takes about, I want to say it took me six weeks last time to get a really good slip from the potato. And then it took another, I would say, just another week or two until it was ready to go outside. Some people, and I've done it both ways, and it's worked both ways, some people like to take their slip out of the water and put it in some soil before you put it outside. And that's a great way to kind of harden it off. Because if you're growing it indoors, and maybe it's warm outside, and then it's cold outside, or you've got temperature fluctuations, um, if you put it in soil... You can put a little starter cup out on your patio or, you know, somewhere that it's not going to get full sun all the time. And then you can go ahead and transplant it out after your last frost date. I always get those. Sometimes I say it backwards, but your last frost date is going to be your spring frost date. And your first frost date is in fall when you're kind of some some people are done growing by that time. That messes me up terribly, too. And, uh, I would, so when, so you get your potato, I use just toothpicks. I just pop them in there and I put them in just little, um, pint size mason jars. Um, they grow. So then you pop the slips off and then, uh, do you want to just leave that little bit of green above the soil then and plant them? Or do you want to bury it all the way like seed potato? Uh, what I do is I, after I slip it off, I put it in water. So I have a good amount of root on that slip. And then I plant the whole, uh, root base and then a little bit more of the stem. 
So usually I got about two inches of two inches of stem above the soil and then all those roots down below. And when would you know, okay, it's time for me to dig these sweet potatoes, they're done? That's a tough one because this year um, I didn't get any, I planted late and everything froze. So I didn't get a chance to, at least where we are here, I didn't really get a chance to get a good sweet potato harvest. But generally, you can harvest those greens from the sweet potato. Um, they're kind of similar to a lettuce or a spinach. So you can kind of eat them as it grows. Uh, I generally will just kind of fiddle around with the soil to see if I've got a good a good sweet potatoes coming up. Sometimes it's when they die off. Um, but it's after they've flowered. So... Um... You know what I what I did too, and if people are curious, so sweet potatoes are used a lot of times as the ground cover layer in like a food forest or yep. a you know a fruit tree guild or something like that. And we will be doing that. But what we did is we planted them by our meat birds, and the meat birds would eat the greens, and ah. then the bottoms would keep growing, and then the greens would yep. grow back, and then they could eat that. They really loved that. It was excellent nutrition for them. So that was pretty good. Um, I do this year, though, want to use the sweet potato greens as a salad because they will last through that hot summer yep. uh, when my lettuce won't. And my sweet potatoes this year, my primary focus uh, for them is going to be um, making sure I have some to go into the dog food for the, okay. and for the dog treats. So yeah. sweet potatoes, a lot of people are like, I don't like sweet potatoes. Keep in mind, it's not all about you. You got to think about dogs, you know, your your livestock. If you're doing meat animals, think about your cats, which are uh, pure carnivores and things like that. So always be thinking about that. Uh, do you have any tips on starting things like, uh, how, like, horseradish, ginger, like those bulbs or those those roots? I have a little bit of, I don't grow everything uh, as far as the tuber type stuff goes, um, but I do have a little bit of experience, say, like ginger. I haven't grown it here in Texas, but I did grow it in Florida. Um, I, garlic is probably my absolute favorite. Maybe not heirloom seed because that's a total like different realm. But as far as things like the your tubers and whatnot, garlic is my absolute favorite because it is fantastic as a medicinal option. It's so easy to grow. Um, you can what they call vernalize it, which is just the same as what we talked about for cold stratification. So you're putting it in the refrigerator, um, or for me, I don't. I skip that whole process and I just plant the seeds. Um, it's the easiest thing. You take your bulb of garlic, you split all your your cloves out, but you leave the papery side out, and you can just plant it an inch or two deep with what I call the pointy side up. So the more blunt end is the area that's by the roots for garlic, and the pointy end is the top piece. So you can plant them. I, I do a little more of intensive planting. I kind of break the rules as far as what what is recommended and kind of what I do because I like to plant a lot in a smaller space so I can optimize as much of my garden space as I can. 
So I typically plant them about two to three inches apart, about an inch or two deep, cover it with soil, then cover it with mulch. And it's probably one of the most laid back, you know, like we said, like a hands-off approach. As long as you have good soil, you don't really have to fertilize it a lot. Uh, you don't really have to fertilize it at all. You could use a like a liquid uh, from your compost even um, and just make sure it stays moist. And it is a longer growing period. You know, I plant it in October here and I or November, actually. And then I harvest it in June, July, and it's ready to go. So I got seed garlic from you. And I got seed garlic from courtesy of Walmart. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was the organic. And because they had elephant garlic. And that okay. was like my own. They had like, you get like one bulb. <laughs> so yes. I was like, oh, like yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing something, you know. So, but then you had uh, some seed garlic. And so I was able to do that. Well, I, um, this is my first year doing garlic in the fall. I know okay. Emily had planted it in the spring. Well, I was out there um, fiddling with it this week, and because uh, we had some of it has straw over it, some okay. of it is in our beds and it's got straw over it. The other stuff has um, it, it's just topped with spent uh, spent rabbit nest box stuff, spent hay, their poop, whatever. It's like all rabbit mumbo jumbo. And it is rocking yeah. out there. I mean, it is rocking. And I am excited because <laughs> I've not had any different types of garlic. You know, the garlic okay. I've had has just been like, this is garlic. You know, it's not, it hasn't been any, anything specific. I've never gotten, you know, true, true varieties or anything like that. So I am pretty pumped. Um, I do a little bit of the, you know, people, they say I should have, more soil in there than I do. Um, but I grow a lot of things in spent rabbit and spent duck and everything does phenomenally. Um, but we also deep litter everything. So it's that heavy, you know, straw and, and hay and all that. But yes, yeah, so I, I was going to message you the other day and tell you that my garlic is out there jamming. So yeah. I am pretty excited. And I, I was like, not going to fiddle with it and leave it there until July but if I get the, um, the, like the scapes that come up off of it, like I would need to pull them up before they flower, right? Yeah. So there's, there's essentially to, to break it down and make it simple. There's three types of garlic. Uh, there's elephant garlic you mentioned, which is very mild. It's, it tastes more like a my really mild onion. Then you have hard neck and soft neck. So soft neck is the most common that you get in the grocery store. It is recommended for warmer climates. I'm growing soft neck and hard neck this year, and I've got uh, elephant garlic from last year that I replanted. And then the hard neck is the variety that creates escape. So the soft neck doesn't, but the hard neck does. If you don't harvest the scape, it will eventually flower. Um, but you don't have to pull the whole garlic up you can just trim the scape almost down to the very bottom of where the scape comes out. And that's literally where the hard neck comes from. Because if you look at a bulb, 
Um, that's the whole piece of garlic. The clove is the smallest pieces that we pull off for seed. The hard neck has the scape and it has a hard neck. Whereas the soft neck garlic, I always know mine's ready because it flops over. So you get typically less cloves in a hard neck and you get more cloves in a soft neck. So it, it's kind of a toss up. Um, I like soft neck better because a single clove, you can get eight to 20 cloves in a bulb. Whereas hard neck, you're going to get maybe five to eight. So your turnaround on seeds, if you want to be more sustainable and not have to buy it every year, your turnaround on soft neck is better than hard neck. Yeah, and just for the cost of seed potatoes, seed garlic, stuff like that, like, yep. my goodness. And it's, there's a reason for that sometimes. You know, yes, you can plant from the grocery store, but I don't because you run the risk of introducing a soil-borne disease because you're buying something to eat. So those, the this, it hasn't been tested to see, you know, if there's any, any diseases that you might be bringing into your garden. So... If, if, you know, I wasn't really worried about that, you could go to the grocery store and grab a couple cloves and plant them or potatoes, same thing, the sprouted eyes. Um, but typically those aren't really washed the same. You know, when you get a potato, you generally, from the grocery store, you generally wash it off because, you know, there's dirt on it. Yeah, I have, um, you know, there was some years like, you know, we just couldn't, this last year, actually, we just could not afford it. So I had to go and I just had to buy organic sweet potatoes, organic uh, potatoes, and organic garlic to grow anything. Yeah. Because I didn't have anything. But if you do have to do that, at least it needs to be organic. I was just going to say, as long as you're choosing an organic option... You know, you're, you're not necessarily going to have potatoes that are sprayed with the stuff to make them not grow eyes. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to have generally a, a better product that you're going to be adding to your garden. So, absolutely. And I do that with sweet potatoes. I'm not planting the whole the whole sweet potato, just the slips. So, I don't even worry about it. And, I, th you know, everybody talks about, well, you can start the seeds from the grocery store. That is true. But, you know, even things like pinto beans, poppy seed, yes, that's true. But keep in mind, it's not going to be, it's not equivalent seed. Right. And, and they're grown for food, not for seed. And it's not ever, you know, if, if me personally, not even as a, as a seed company, if I want to put all that effort into something, I want to make sure that I'm getting something true to seed the next year something that's not going to be a mix of three different, you know, three different peppers or something like that. Yeah. So, and you know, hybrids are something that are fun. You know, you can grow them or whatever, you know, it's, it, you, you're excited, but since they're not going to be true, if you're talking about, you know, being truly sustainable, you know, having those resources, because if you, you you can plant the hybrid, and you can get a bumper crop, and that's good. Bumper crop meaning a huge crop that year. Yeah. Um, the then next year you're you're you if you run out of those seeds and you got to buy them again, and you got to buy them right. again. And you know 
oh, I would be interested in your feedback on, and I've seen this rampant on Facebook this week, is, oh. <laughs> yes, is, well, my heirloom tomatoes don't produce as much as the hybrid, and I'm concerned about having food put up for all year. And people are swarming saying that, yes, the heirlooms, you just can't get the production at all. And I have not personally found that to be true. I found that I, I just, it's pretty close. I would say my heirlooms, some varieties have had um, trouble with splitting or, you know, more disease and pest pressure. But as far as production, I don't know if that's accurate personally. I would say that it's not necessarily accurate across the board. So every year is like a brand new year in the garden. It, it's never going to be, in my experience anyway, it's never going to be the same. So even if you took the same variety of seeds and you planted it in the same area, it may be different this year from last year. You know, perfect example is our, our winter is different. Last year at this time, we had sleet going sideways in our backyard and I was just standing out there looking going I wish I could be planting and now it's we have a completely different weather pattern um when we first moved here to Texas our um our frost date was mid-November well this year it we had or I'm sorry 2022 it froze in the middle of October so every year is going to be different as far as heirlooms versus hybrids Heirloom seeds have been around for sometimes hundreds of years. So they didn't survive this long because, you know, of some kind of fluke. It's because people have trusted them because of their sustainability. So, yes, you can go get that hybrid and maybe get a little better. What some people don't realize is sometimes those hybrids are bred to give you a bumper crop but not necessarily feed you the highest nutrient-dense food. Yes. So that is my key as far as heirlooms are. Not only, yeah, I sell seeds, but I also teach people how to save those seeds. So if you bought heirloom seeds or if you were given heirloom seeds, you can grow that year after year after year, and you won't be dependent on a whatever company that's making it to provide you with those seeds every year. Um, hybrid flowers are a problem if you are promoting for pollinators. So January is plant for pollinators month at Mary's heirloom seeds. And I teach people why we should plant with pollinators in mind, because obviously our food depends on it. Well, one of the drawbacks to a hybrid uh, variety is they are bred to look pretty, but not necessarily feed the bees or the pollinators. So they may have no pollen or less pollen, and it's very similar to our food. If you're growing a massive amount of produce from the same spot, that plant has to get that nutrient from somewhere. And if you're growing more in one spot, you may not be feeding yourself the same nutrient-dense food. Well, and the more nutrient is the food, you know, the fuller you feel, the, you know, less you need. It, it's a cycle. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you're preserving your own food, and this isn't just for, you know, summer summer fresh salads, 
that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And the, the more yep. nutrient dense it is, then the less you need, then, you know, you don't have to plant 300 tomato plants here, you know, right. so <laughs> the, it, it, that's those, that's those things. And so I definitely wanted to touch on those. Um, we've, you know, we've talked about a little bit, um, about standard seeds, but I wanted to definitely dive into that potato, garlic, all of that stuff, because people oftentimes think seed starting and instantly go to, I must start every single thing into these little <laughs> trays, and they forget sure. that they've still got to, you know, what about, you know, we're planning for, for your flowers, your bulbs, your, there's just so many things that have to be accounted for, and uh, people often forget those when we're talking about seed starting. They just go. Yeah, don't, tomatoes. Don't and forget. Don't forget the herbs. Don't forget the flowers. There's so there's so many different options out there and varieties out there that you know you gotta kind of look at the garden as a whole and not just this one thing. Because honestly, when people ask me, "What do you do?" and I sell, I go, I sell heirloom seeds and I teach people how to grow food, and they go heirloom like tomatoes because. Like, that's a famous thing. It's heirloom tomatoes. And, you know, most people go, oh, they're so delicious. You know, store-bought versus homegrown. You see those silly little memes that go around and you're like, I spent, you know, $50 to grow $2 worth of tomatoes. But, yeah. you know, the, the flavor and the nutrition value for what you're growing compared to what you can get in the store is, it, it, it there isn't even a comparison. Well, people need to stop thinking... I spent $50 to save two. Uh, it's actually an investment. Yeah. There's, you know, we're, we're dealing with, you know, some people are calling it food shortages and some people call it, are just calling it, you know, the rising cost of food, you know, and there's so many different avenues out there that I don't really get into other than just the growing part of it. But, you know, it's sometimes it's not necessarily, you know, oh, I can get that in the store. Well, now that I'm in a lot more of a rural area, and not a, not everybody has that opportunity, you know, you go to a grocery store and you can get everything. Well, I went to the grocery store the other day, and they had no carrots, they had no radish, they had barely any cabbage, and it was just something I was observing. You know, at some point, it's not necessarily, you know, well, I can get it in the store. Yeah. Maybe it won't be there, or maybe it will be more expensive than you can afford or that you want to spend on that fresh. So you end up with a can something. But if you had it at home and you had preserved it yourself or you had grown it yourself, you don't even have to worry about it. Exactly. <clears throat> so is there anything that you won't grow? Um, there's, I would say there's very little that I won't grow. Um, I don't grow, <laughs> there's, okay, I'll tell you the back, there's one. <laughs> I don't grow butternut squash to eat. Yeah. Um, because. That's a good choice. No, no. So, so here's the thing. Um, <laughs> I don't have a, a large family to feed, so it's Doc and I. My, my husband, I call him Doc just for, you know, privacy reasons. He's not on social media or anything. Uh, well, um, he's he my hero. You can let him know. <laughs> he, is, he, is a retire, he is a retired doctor, so I call him Doc. He's a retired chiropractor. So he won't eat butternut squash, period. One of the first 
kind of instances I was making butternut squash. Steve, he came home from work, and he goes, is that butternut squash? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, let me know when you're done. And he left. He went, <laughs> got on his motorcycle and drove off. I'm saying, so, I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. I, I some do, people love it. I love. I will. I will bathe in butternut squash. <laughs> it, butternut squash, acorn squash, 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 squash. But I, my favorite, all-time favorite for both of those things, cut it in half, score it, put in, uh, you know, good pat of butter in there, brown sugar and honey. Pop ah. it. Pop it in the oven, uh, at like 425 for like 40 minutes until it's you know fork tender. And pull it out and drizzle that bad boy with maple syrup. Oh my goodness. Now you're making me hungry. That is life changing. So many people <laughs> eat it savory and they don't eat it sweet. Yes. And it is life changing. But you know what? If I could have a seed suggestion for you. Um, What's that? <laughs> there, so I, there is a, the, the little one, so my dad grew this, and it was called Butter Baby. Okay. And it's it's just individual, just a tiny hand size butternut, supposedly heirloom. Okay. So because there there is another one that's not necessarily a, a true heirloom that that people have asked me about, but I'll have to look into that and see because that is definitely a you know the small size because. You know, that's the thing. I can't necessarily eat all of that butternut squash by myself. Yeah, that's why I like so, this, because it's just for just you. It's just yeah. only enough for one. Now, this one I that I knew and I did grow, they claim it's organic and stuff like that, but I don't know the whole history behind the seed, but I just know that's the seed he used, and so that's uh -huh. one seed I have to get from another company, but... I was like, man, I wish that she had the small one. I will grow the big one, though, because, um, like I said, I use livestock as my excuse to do everything. Um, right. So if I have anything left, then they'll eat it, which is a beautiful yeah. thing. And I have pigs. So, I mean, any, nothing is off the table. <laughs> so so maybe, I'll, maybe I'll try that little one in my garden because for, for my husband, for example... He won't eat it because his mom used to boil it when he was a kid. Oh, oh that's, that's, I, no, that's worse. It, that sounds terrible. So maybe he was just traumatized by the way she cooked it. And maybe if I tried it, something different. Like uh, the way you described how you make your butternut squash, I do something similar with acorn squash. Yeah, I do I it with it acorn have, too. I've done it with spicy, <clears throat> with like cayenne pepper, and I've done it with a little bit of uh, brown sugar and butter, Ooh, yeah. and he and he likes that. So, you know, if you do it, if you whatever you do with the acorn squash sweet, I found when I do it sweet with butternut, it's the same, and that okay. that texture. The only way I found that it does not match up equally is pumpkin. Okay. So yeah, but it is. I have so many people have asked me for well, how are you making it? Then I tell them, and they eat it that way always now yeah and it is so good and when you pull it out it's going to be completely full like full of liquid and yeah. then as you start cutting it it just seeps in there oh it just melts in your mouth i will i'm gonna have to find one now like <laughs> i want one now so but yeah and my winter squash harvest was a dud in 2022 so i am gonna go hammer time this year All um right. 
Anybody I have listening? a suggestion for you, though. Oh, yes. Now, I saw your list, and I haven't... I, I, my brain is fried at this point in the day, so I don't have it off the top of my head. But if you don't already have it, seminal pumpkin. Because you said you did terrible with winter squash last year. Yeah, so that pumpkin, that was... I, I, it's not on my list because I you said that before, and then I forgot, and when I had sent my my list in, I was like, I think I forgot the pumpkin, and I think I forgot the watermelon for the contest. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to include those, because recently I, I sent out an email. I, I We do a lot of social media stuff, because it's the easiest for me to reach a lot of people at one time, but I do have an email list that I send out some information. So I grew, the first year I got to Texas, I grew a seminal pumpkin. And for those of you that haven't watched my video, we got here in June of 21. I started my garden July 1st of 21. And I was harvesting within 42 days was like the record for a summer squash. But wow. that winter squash I grew, I harvested it in late October. And I did uh, an experiment. I had a couple different pumpkins that I stashed away in like a cold storage. Nothing fancy, just a, a kitchen cabinet in my laundry room that stays cool. That seminal pumpkin beat out every single pumpkin that I had in the cabinet. It last, it, It's still going uh, from October of 21. Whoa. It has not rotted. I, I've eaten from the same uh, stock that I have that I had grown and stored, but I posted a picture and some you know different recipe that you could do. It was still just as delicious in November of 2022 as it was in October of 21. That's an, that is craziness. And if anybody's listening and they want to also grow this pumpkin, if you really want to up the ante, I did a trial this year with um the so i took my i took three pumpkins the shortest ones i did a trial i, I direct seeded some with the ducks on the outside of their fence that was watered exclusively through rain or duck runoff and then i did in a grow bag that was heavily amended um and then obviously rain and i had to manually water that and then i did well one in the raised bed <clears throat> a pumpkin that performs this well, like what you're saying, I highly recommend if you have access to, you have ducks, you have ducks, ducks water, duck bedding, any of that, do it. I put out the Connecticut Field pumpkin. I, one seed, one, had 25 <laughs> pumpkins on it. Oh, that's awesome. They, it went, that's fantastic. It went bananas. It was super huge. They were all harvestable. They were all decent size. I didn't pinch any of them off. Then I had put in another singular seed on another part of their fence line, and that one had 15 on it. That was insane. Nice. I've never grown that many pumpkins in my life on a single <laughs> vine. But, of course, you know, those numbers are, you know, child's play when you've got four hogs and all the, you know, the chickens and stuff, they burn through those. Yeah. Uh, but how awesome, you know? So I was pretty excited about that. Um, and 
yeah, so definitely that's a pumpkin that I wanted to try. And I think there's another YouTuber, Acre Homestead, who she had this pumpkin as well. And she was doing a test on which pumpkin had, you know, more water or whatever. She was doing her holiday baking, and that one won okay. on hers, too. She okay. thought that that was, uh, not only was it holding well, but it also um, had it had the proper moisture content when she was trying to cook with it and preserve with it. And I was like, good to know. So I made a well, note, but I still forgot to put it on the list. But, yeah, I was very excited about that. Um, I liked it particularly for the pest resistance because growing in a brand new like brand new climate I never had issues with squash vine borers in when I grew in California but I, I always did in um, in Florida so it was interesting to see the three different places that I've grown how it would do here and it really it outperformed any of the other squash I grew any of the other winter squash I grew that's outstanding. The squash bugs here are, like, relentless. Yeah. Um, I companion plant, and I yeah. hope to put out Blue Hubbard as a trap crop this year. Um, but I spend a lot of time, you know, plucking yep. them off. Um, yep, so do I. But <laughs> I, won't... I do companion planting. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of people, they you know, they've said, well, I break down and I do seven, and you will not catch me doing that. So, um... Yep. I find that the companion planting and the planting densely, the planting, the, the, the variety. Um, so that's what draws me to permaculture too. Just be, you know, that high, um, density and diversity in the plants. That's just worked really well. And I don't have a lot of the pest issues, uh, in the first year that I did it here or anything. And then our, even back in town, it was just, everything was packed in together and we had just abundant harvest and we did not notice um really too much of the the um the pest issues now the japanese beetles they're out to get me um <laughs> but i found i just sacrificed some green beans for them if i leave them on the green beans everything else thrives and the green beans always recover and they have such a fast turnaround time that we don't lose the green bean harvest right so I, I'm excited about that, but I'll talk gardening for days, <laughs> but is there a specific <laughs> seed starting mix, um, that you recommend that's easy to just like go and buy or should people be making it? That's a, that's a tough one because I don't, there isn't a particular brand that I use. There really isn't a brand that I use. I tend to make my own. So I've got, when we first moved here, we got a, uh, compost delivered from a local organic soil company and I just used that compost mix with some coconut core and I was good so I've heard great reviews on different varieties of of seed starting mix but there isn't necessarily one specifically that I recommend um yeah I have to agree can, I think it's you like you can go out and go ahead I think it's just gonna be what works for you for me that that seed starting mix you can you can buy like that i in my schedule and just being by myself i can't manage the watering for that so right. i do have to get something um that is going to retain that that moisture better which is why i have to use the potting mix or like that tree decay like i was talking about because otherwise yeah. i i get it to where i've messed up the watering and then boom now it doesn't absorb water at all and i'm screwed right. um so what 
do you have any tips on um, tomatoes and peppers that we didn't cover? We talked about ways we can heat it up. We talked about, um, you know, getting them started early in the light and all those things. But are there any, like, once they're sprouted, we've already got them sprouted, how do we keep them alive? <laughs> that's, a, that's probably the hardest part is keeping them alive because, like you said, sometimes you forget. You get busy with life and you go, oh, it's been however many days and I haven't watered them or I haven't checked on them. So probably the most important thing is to check on them every day. Uh, even if it's just like peek at them, okay, you're good, awesome. Uh, troubleshooting is probably the most important. I water, I do use trays because I'm using containers and I water the bottom of the tray. I rarely water the top of the soil once my seeds have already started. So that keeps any kind of um, funk on the top of it off. Um, I use a fan. If you have a fan, great. Um, Using a fan can keep mold growth from the top, again, depending on your area and, you know, what type of seed uh, mix you're using. So adding a a cheap fan is is nice, unless you already have some sort of... um, some sort of airflow is helpful. That way you don't have growth on the top. Plus, using a fan can help. It, it helps move those little seedlings. You don't want to blast them. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to, like, blow your seedlings away. But it's nice to have something to it, – it helps strengthen the stems of your seedlings. And then don't pour heavy-handed because if you just dump some water on there, not only are you going to displace – if you're doing just seeds and they haven't germinated, you might displace your seeds. Um, and then also you're going to disrupt some of those roots that are already starting to, to grow. So just water gently. Yeah, and I found um, on my hands and stuff, I'm a little shaky. So actually I switched over to those pump sprayers. Yeah. Um, because it just is such a soft water and I can get super close to the soil with it and so I'm not saturating absolutely everything since I don't bottom water because I typically use the solo cups so that this way you know it's good now I say typically don't bottom water I do but when using the solo cups I kind of like have to like flood the thing and, and I'm using those 10 things so I typically um really monitor like okay this is how long it takes I do like a test cup and everything right. so I know it's not dry inside so that the roots have some moisture um Good. so you talked about the fan which was genius <clears throat> so when they've got their seedlings and let's say they start them in the greenhouse or anything like that discuss hardening off and is it mandatory if they've started in the greenhouse so depending on if there's a, a big temperature jump in the greenhouse, there's a lot less requirement for, uh, for hardening off. If you're growing in, uh, if you're growing in, a, in an area that is going back and forth cool and hot, um, I would definitely suggest leaving them out for a little bit. If your greenhouse doesn't have full sun access, you know, maybe it's in partial shade in the afternoon, and maybe you're going to put that seedling in an area that gets full sun all the time, 
you probably want to harden off a little bit. You want to expose it to your area. Um, personally, I think that's one of the benefits to growing from seed is whether it's in a greenhouse, a grow tent, or just on a back patio in the, the small greenhouse you're using, those seedlings that you're growing on your property are generally going to be more adapted to your area, your weather, and things like that. So if you can harden off, I recommend it. Uh, I don't, I never plant stuff directly out there without having just a little bit of acclimation because it, it is helpful. I mean, you don't want to just throw it out there and be like, okay, survive. Yeah, and I find when I was in the ha- when I was starting in the house, it was like an entire week of hardening off. When I was dealing with the greenhouse, it was like a couple of days. Yeah, so exactly. that that was super nice. Um, what I would say, do you sell or grow fruit? Because I know, you know, strawberries. Lots of people, you know, they want to plant the seeds for strawberries, which is a seed that needs to be cold stratified. Right. I do sell I do sell some fruit seeds, uh, but not your your popular fruits like trees. Um, trees are a whole nother uh, part of the food forest that I don't that I grow, but I don't sell them. So, you like you, you said, ever will do cuttings? Probably not, unless I went the whole nursery route. Uh, that's a whole type of gardening in itself Mm -hmm. Um, as far as grafting you know a lot of yes you can grow a lot of things from seed but at the same time for example um, avocados you know uh, I haven't tried to grow an avocado here in Texas but we had huge avocado tree at our place in Southern California I grew up in a warmer climate where we had fruit trees and avocados and things like that all over the place but that's something that's going to take five years, 10 years until you get a decent harvest. Um, Mm -hmm. That's probably one of the benefits of growing vegetables and fruits like, you know, watermelon or, or even strawberry is you have a little, not necessarily instant gratification, but a lot closer instant gratification than say a fruit tree. Yeah. Or your berry bushes, you know, that'll give you, give you something. Now I am interested in, um, will be um, selling some cuttings, graft. I want to do those things. So since we are, you know, since I'm so heavily focusing on that food forest, you know, deal, that is kind of what will go hand in hand. That's what interests me. Um, nice. So I'll be wanting to do that. So I'm pretty excited um, about that. But yes, like you said, that's more of a nursery beast <laughs> yeah <laughs> with your root stocks or this or that and your the propagation is totally different it is not like pinching off a tomato sucker and making a new plant yep exactly uh, so i will say um what is your favorite thing to grow and what is your favorite thing to eat and then we'll share ours uh, tomatoes, hands down, are my absolute favorite. We've talked about that so much tonight, but <laughs> tomatoes are are one of my favorites. Probably part of it is just because that's what really got me into growing when I was a kid, was my granny grew some of the biggest tomato plants and some of the best tomatoes, and it's just 
kind of a, a familiar for me. Um, I like that there are so many different shapes and sizes and colors and uses for tomatoes. Um, I know there's a lot of people that, you know, they don't like tomatoes or they can't eat tomatoes, and I feel so sad. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, I love a good purple tomato is probably my favorite. Um, Cherokee purple is, is probably the most popular, and it's definitely my – if I had to say – you can only grow one type of tomato. One, I'd be sad. But two, the uh, Cherokee purple is is definitely my favorite. You can use it. It's the, one of the best slicers. I have um, not grown so that's that. Definitely... <gasps> yeah, I, ho- please tell me it's on my list. <laughs> definitely look at my list. I would have to recheck your list. I actually don't know if I put too many tomatoes on there because I was trying to... I had a I had a very large <laughs> seed order and I was like yeah. I don't know so um but I have some tomatoes but I haven't grown any not one purple tomato have I grown so yeah that'll be a new thing and actually I haven't grown a white one um okay. and I've only grown just the yellow pear that's the only oh no I did grow there was one yellow hybrid that I had got a seed start from um and so I did grow that and thanks to the chickens I only got to eat two of them but um (laughs) yeah so it's pretty much been red tomatoes here but my cucumbers for me oh oh okay I I absolutely love cucumbers I would I would literally just like wrap them up and sleep with them in a nice (laughs) bundle burrito I love them I will just eat it right out of the right out of the garden skin and all or just dipped in ranch i mean everything um and i would say cucumbers are probably hands down the favorite of all of the poultry they (laughs) they will go crazy for a frozen cucumber what about you dear well i can't just i don't have one favorite you don't have one favorite what you can do top two my favorite thing to grow is peppers um And as far as to eat, I love cherry tomatoes. Um, that's my favorite out of the garden. I like radishes. Um, oh, radish is a new thing. He learned that he loved radishes this last year. Now he can't get enough radishes. And, of course, I didn't grow enough. Um, I like cucumbers, too. Um, I like zucchini. Uh, I don't know. I have a lot of... I love vegetables. I know. I'm not a fruit person, but I love all the vegetables. I, I will say... Um, <clears throat> uh, good call on the peppers. Um, it, the hot That's peppers. That's my favorite thing to grow. I love watching the peppers grow because it's just yeah. This year, I hope to grow large banana peppers and stuff them like a jalapeno popper. Oh, that sounds be, good. Yeah, then it'll be without that spice. And he does the the poppers. He puts the shredded cheese in it, and then does the, like the garlic and a lot of seasoning, and then wraps it in the thick cut. Uh, bacon, okay. right? Because well, I don't do shredded cheese, I do cream cheese. Or cream, well, yeah, but the shredded cheese is in it, isn't it? No. Oh, well, for some reason, I do like those, but I don't really care for it when we're out and about. So, okay. I would like to do it with the banana peppers because then you don't have that, that spice, but I could put the red pepper flakes in the cream cheese. Okay. So, I thought that would be kind of neat, I think. Um, and then, of course... I do want to have a large tomato this year to where I can do that stuffed. I keep seeing stuffed tomatoes. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely want to be stuffing them. Uh, my favorite thing to 
eat was the cucumbers. Um, and I would say my favorite thing to grow is probably, oh, I don't know. I always think it's kind of neat when you see the, the big pumpkins or they're just like neat. Yeah, you know, I'm like, look at this thing. Look that I have bestowed upon you. You know, <laughs> so, like, behold, my giant gourd. You know, so, but I, but cucumbers are like my favorite thing. I, I couldn't possibly go without them. We eat a lot of them. Matter of fact, we grew 16 different varieties uh, in 20 wow. in 2021, and we had how many plants was that? We had like 40 or 50 plants and we didn't have enough. We ran out on fresh eating and only one round of refrigerator pickles by July. Wow. Yes. So we, they could not possibly produce enough. My son, the, the chickens, us, everything, they were pumping them out and we were just burning them. So this year, um, to be honest, we will, we will have upwards of a, of probably almost a hundred plants. Um, nice. because otherwise we won't have enough to make, you know, he likes the tzatziki sauce. We'll have the, um, the, uh, little cucumber chips. Um, and then of course, you know, there's pickles and, um, I wanted to make some seasonings with them, uh, because I saw, I just found so much stuff online. And so now I have to try all the things and, <laughs> But my favorite cucumber is probably the the lemon cuke. That is beautiful. Yeah, and it is delish. <laughs> I love those. And the little cucumelons. It took me three years to grow those. <laughs> but I, I, I love think, those. I think my favorite is the miniature white wonder cucumber. I haven't got to grow that yet. They, I, I spent the summer just eating them straight off the vine. It was, they're super easy to grow. And you can just munch on them while you're doing stuff in the garden. And that was me with the uh, sugar snap peas. Those mammoth okay. sugar snap peas. Oh, man. Yep. I love those. He didn't like them at all. But every time somebody came over, I was like, do you want to eat some of my peas? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was excited about that. So we've talked some about your social media and your website. But do you want to, uh, you know, discuss exactly how people can find you and what they can expect to see or learn from those sure uh so my website is mary's heirloom seeds.com i try to make it simple um i am available uh via email uh or message on social media i'm not as fast to respond on social media because i can't be stuck on the computer all day long um but i'm on probably the most active on facebook my email I tell everybody during my videos is mary at mary's heirloom seeds.com. Again, I try to keep it simple for people to be able to find me. Um, Facebook, I'm more active. Uh, like I said, we've, we have different series that I do throughout the year. So we have plant for pollinators in January. I do that so people can keep the pollinators in mind when they're planning their garden for the year. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. It's just under Mary's heirloom seeds. I go live um, once a week. I do regular videos if I can, uh, just of different things. I am on Instagram, uh, Mary Smith, <laughs> but uh, the link is at, is on my website as well, on uh, marysheirloomseeds.com. I will uh, say that your lives are quite informative. She's not just going live to chit-chat. I mean, right. it is like 
it's educational. It's, you know, you can get your questions answered, not only by her, but the, the, everybody in the in the comments is really, like, working together. You know, it's a, it's a great community. So you don't want to be missing those. This is not a, a, you know, please subscribe to me. Let's sit and chat about our day. Uh, right. it's, it's definitely a for purpose, and we love that. Um, we do have, if you go to maryserlingseeds.com like we always say if you go there and uh, go ahead get you some of these seeds we've talked about she's got them um don't don't sell out the pumpkin before me people but <laughs> when you go in there and go ahead get you an order made and then in the discount box at checkout enter code dreamweavers to save 10 percent, and that is off your purchase of 20 or more um, cannot be combined with other offers and please make sure you get the co coupon code in there when you are checking out. She cannot go back and start applying it uh, mystically. That just takes too much time. And remember, <laughs> always start your shopping with our link. Your experience is the same but it gives us a little bit and we always appreciate that. I will have, of course, all the links in the Facebook group, Homestead Happenings with VB Podcast, as well as in the description of this episode, as well as our link. And our link is all over social media. And if you can't find it or you need it, you can always email me or PM me on any social media at any time. And I will definitely get that for you. Um, I Is there anything that you want to cover that we didn't cover or any last minute tips that you want to give people? Um, one last tip, actually. Um, we mentioned seed starting and, and kind of heading off any kind of issues you might have. One thing that I learned a couple of years ago, I was watching a YouTuber. She's one of my great friends in the, in the homesteading community. Uh, Catherine at Little Bits of Heaven Homestead mentioned using cinnamon over the top of her soil to avoid damping off and Ooh. it was a game changer which is the only reason why i'm giving her a shout out well one of the awesome reasons i've <laughs> given her a shout out but it was a game changer i i never even thought about it because cinnamon is a, like naturally gets rid of any kind of or at least helps get rid of any kind of bad growth on the top of your soil and it also helps boost root growth so that was like one of the most eye-opening light bulb moments for you with seed starting so i have shared that with as many people as i possibly can i will um, have to give that a go this year because i have not and if i had a tip to give people would be mulch 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 mulch, mulch. <laughs> yes. because this this year i'm telling you everybody that we're having these weird weather expect a drought Expect it to be longer than it was. Expect it to be a scorching summer. You need to retain your water. Just a fun little tidbit uh, for people looking to be more sustainable because yeah. everybody knows that I'm always trying to give tidbits. You should have, at minimum, 10%, but ideally, 15% of your total property should be in water. So, we're talking ponds, creeks, streams, catchment... Um, oh, I mean, anything, your swales, all those kind of things, 15%, just think about 
that. Think about how much that is. Um, sure. And you'll want to figure out how to do that because when, this is how you get through the droughts. This is how you close the loop. You can't always <clears throat> you can't always rely on your well. Yeah. Uh, anything could happen. My mom's had a well and then it went bad and she couldn't do anything. We had a friend dry, uh, drill a well and then it dried up. Yeah. <clears throat> so you can't ever be too sure. So I would say that. And there is somebody who is new into he, he, he was never into traditional gardening and then he's learned more about permaculture and food forests and he's really kind of been diving into that whole realm. What would you say was kind of your turning point? What are you most and then what are you most excited about in this gardening season? Since this is design is something you love because you have an art background, mm -hmm. but the gardening factor is something new. So we'd love to hear about that before we close Why out. Why do you always put me on the spot with stuff? Um, newsflash to everybody listening. He was forewarned and he's just gently bullying me again. I wasn't though. <laughs> no, but what are you looking forward to this gardening season? I mean, just learning more about how to do it all. I guess. I mean, I've never, I've helped you, but I've never really actually taken the time to learn. Yeah. And this year he'll have his own space. Yeah. And instantly I thought he was going to tell you guys about the black hollyhocks that he found. That he was so excited he found black flowers. But. Why do you always think that I'm going to think about the things you want me to think about? We're connected. No. Yes. Right now. I mean, we are, but. Our brain Of course waves. those are going to be really cool to plant, but. Our brain waves. I'm just are excited about designing my own area to kind of, I don't know, use my skills in that area and learn more about doing everything. Because Pepper, Pepper's is about where his gardening experience stopped. And I bring this up because a few episodes, I mean, if you listen back to um, Danny's episode, which was Renting While Home Studying and Community Gardening, he says, I will never garden. I will never like. The garden. The garden is not for me. Fast forward. Oh my. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I think I'm going to, I'm going to be able to take over this section. And okay, I, I think I'm going to be learning about this and I'm learning about this. <laughs> you know, we were, you know, we've uh, just tested our soil to see, you know, about the clay and the sand and all that stuff. And so I was like, never say never. And he was like, yeah. no, never. And now here we are. Our never say never. Well, yeah, I'm out. That's why I put you on the spot so that I can just. I got to get in my dig of I was right or my I told you so moment. I, I have to get it in there, dear. If I don't, then that's just that. It was all on my own time. <laughs> it, well, it took you three years to get here. Well, well, whatever. You're here and you're not allowed to leave now. Once you get bit with the gardening bug, it's there. <laughs> Trust me. Well, that, that's similar to our situation. My husband said in the very beginning, he said, I'll build you whatever you want, but I don't do dirt. <laughs> yeah, so, I think I heard he, exactly that. Yeah, he's he's great at building stuff. Every single one of my raised beds, he's built. Every, like, the chicken coop we had at our last place, he built it from scratch with wood, and it was just him. And I think it was Saturday... I was wondering what got into him. It was obviously the gardening bug. Because he goes, he goes, you know, we should expand your gardens. 
And I'm like, hallelujah, I can't believe you just said that. And he, and he starts telling me about building a hoop house on the back side of the property. We can have more space to grow a longer period of time. It's easier to grow seeds than the grow tent. It's more, you know, it's more efficient. And I'm thinking, I, I like this. <laughs> so uh, very similar situation, um, getting people more involved. So. so anybody listening, there is hope. You just there have, is hope. You have to hold out <laughs> and you got to put them on the spot. And they're, they're ready. No, he, he means well. He likes to give me junk. But he is, he is really excited, and um, I will say I, I'm just excited to get started, but I'm definitely kind of still absorbing winter because there's a lot to do before true gardening yeah. season. Um, yep. Yeah, well, this has been a great conversation, and we have to have more casual conversations because I could talk about gardening all the time. <laughs> uh, so, as a reminder, everyone... Like I said at the beginning of the episode, don't forget to go over to the Facebook group, Homestead Happenings with BB Podcast. Upload a silly picture with you and your favorite animal on your property or your pet, or you can upload a funny video with your animals, something like a reel or add some funny music or maybe a funny caption to a little short video to be entered to win that charcoal slash wood chip uh, bullet smoker. It is small enough to be able to fit anywhere that you need it, even if you live in town. And it can hold up to four chickens. You can also double it as a grill. So it will just be an excellent addition. And you have until February 20th to enter for that. Thank you for everyone who's been participating. And stay tuned because we will be giving away more seeds in March. So on that note, let's learn. Let's grow. Let's let's go. go.